Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast. Each week, the team at Hotel Analyst comes together to discuss three topics of interest, at least for those of us involved in the world of hotels and investment. Joining me around the desk of Insight this week are Catherine Dogrell, our Perspectives Editor, and Andrew Sankster, our Editorial Director, along with me, Chris Bowne, the Web Editor. You join us as we limber up for the hotel distribution event, where this week we'll be talking all things digital and online in the hotel space across marketing, distribution and asset management. But for now, let's return to our first topic we're going to talk about. And last week we were talking about a pulled IPO from WeWork. This week we're holding out greater hopes that Airbnb will be able to deliver on its promise of an IPO in 2020. Catherine's going to tell us why that one really will happen <laughs> and give us a flavour of what Airbnb is, is planning to pin its brand on next. Over to you, Catherine. Yes, obviously the good people at Airbnb saw the hideous mess at WeWork and thought, ooh, there's something for our legal team to do because apparently they're not busy enough at the moment. Um, so yes, Airbnb are now saying that they will list during 2020. Um, we don't know yet whether they've filed with the SEC. There's no evidence they have, so it's uh, unlikely they have done. But finally, finally, the big Airbnb test of the market comes. Um, I spoke to one person who wished to remain nameless, and they said they would not show it to their clients um, because they were concerned about uh, the huge amounts of uh, legislation that still has to really sort itself out at Airbnb, and also because they couldn't guarantee supply. Airbnb followed up the announcement they were having an Airbnb by saying they now had 7 million Airbnb listings in over 100,000 cities around the world, uh, more listings than the eight largest hotel groups. So they seem confident that they do have the supply. Um, so that's okay. Uh, it should all be fine. Everyone else is completely desperate with excitement to have a look under the hood of Airbnb and see what they've really got, uh, see what money they're really making. Um, so it should all be terribly, terribly exciting if it really happens. Um, I think over the, the past um, few uh, IPOs, Things have been, one looks particularly at Uber, for example, and of course WeWork never happened. There have been some slightly rubbishy ones. This one I would have my concerns about, but I think overall they may have got to the level where they can lose a few um, rooms or whatever they are here and there and everything should be fine. And they're saying, you know, we could lose a whole, look at look what's happened in San Francisco, look what happened in Berlin. It's all been completely fine. I think they may have reached a level where it's okay. And really, what are they anyway? They describe themselves as a technology company, even if it all went right up to the wall. They're a huge data company. Look at all the data they've got. That has to be worth something. So it could, it could well work out for them, I think. Mm, has to be worth something. That was um, WeWork's approach, wasn't it? We've got all this data and we're going to do something with it. The fact nobody believed they actually have a route to profitability, that's the challenge. Mm. And I think this unicorn thing, when it goes on, it has private equity backing and they're sort of long as they just keep growing revenue um, everybody looks the other way when it comes to what's going on um, on the bottom line but actually when it goes to an IPO you've got to show you're able to deliver profits um, at some point at some stage people have got to believe that you're going to be able to deliver profits at some stage and the problem with WeWork it wasn't able to convince people of that it says it's going to come back for another pop um, I'm not so sure uh, the same thing Thing at Airbnb. In the end, this this whole um, unicorn thing is, you know, I, mean, I can be a unicorn if somebody's willing to give me two billion a quarter. I'm sure I can manage to sort of find turnover of a billion, even if I'm selling, you know, uh, for every pound you buy off me, I'll, I'll give you two pounds. Um, that's one way to do it. Um, 
but that clearly isn't a sustainable business model um, but it's almost as sustainable as some of the unicorns I've seen what's going on at Airbnb we don't know the big challenge is where the going into that long tail of owners servicing all those owners who've only got a little bit so they've got one room or two rooms available can that be profitable uh, the theory is yes we've got the tech to do that we can make it work I think actually at the grunt end I think it's quite tough and against that you've also got all of this backdrop of regulation where that's all going to play out how that's going to shift and what's going to happen there so there's a lot of uncertainty around that when you've got uncertainty that needs to be discounted in terms of pricing but one thing we've learned about unicorns and coming to, um, to market is that they don't tend to discount very heavily uh, so it's going to be interesting i think 2020 i think because we're we're going to clearly be in the bottom of the business cycle at that point it's turned uh, it's going to be a very very tough time indeed to be listing um, i think it's going to be a challenge but we'll see isn't one of the interesting things about airbnb as opposed to say we work uh leases aside is that airbnb is dominant in its field no one else can make even consider making any money over everyone else who dabbles in it you're in this sector your marriott's your accords can't get the volume they've got huge huge volumes for these tiny twitchy little margin Is businesses it what, huge about, volume. what about booking booking has bolted it on expedia has bolted it on now i have to say but, but expedia and booking they're more kind of around the one million ish listing area of things this is seven no. million this is a lot no um, it's not seven million all the time booking so. has more vacation rentals as they call them than they have hotels now um and Xpeed is having heading that way with Verbo, so uh, you know I think they can put them on, and also they've already got the infrastructure in place to service those owners. So yeah, I think there there are serious competitors out there. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess the point is that they can you, they can switch, and of course, as we've seen in places like London with ninety days, they do switch from platform to platform. So absolutely, they are. They are. They're all the same. They're all the yeah. same. One million. Yeah. Yeah, so we're, we're seeing people now who say Airbnb is one thing, but we're, we're listing on these other platforms at the same time. And it's a way to sort of dodge the regulators up to a point as well. Right. Now, back in March this year, a savvy travel agent that I know stopped selling Thomas Cook holidays. She was convinced there was going to be trouble ahead. And finally, last week it came after those trying to keep the company afloat got fed up with its ever-increasing demands for cash just to survive. So plenty of people are pointing out that the, here was a company which still seemed analogue while all the world had gone digital around it. And Catherine's been looking more specifically at the fallout for the hotel industry. Over to you. Yes. Yeah, so the, 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 pop, well, I mean, the popular explanation for Thomas Cook going bust is that they weren't fast enough to go digital. I don't... Uh, I think it's more to do with the huge, huge, huge debt they picked up over the years than anything else. If you're servicing that amount of debt, you can't do anything else. Uh, it's very difficult to compete. Um, I think if they've managed to deal with that and successfully recapitalise, we'd be looking at a different thing. However, now we're all looking at how to repatriate everyone. And there were some horrifically inappropriate comments made all over Twitter, as you can imagine. <clears throat> about how this is like Dunkirk, where it really isn't at all. Um, but uh, everyone's foreign ministries have been getting involved, the Turkish, the Greece, the Greek, 
um, helping everybody out and dealing with what in some in some places is a, a huge sudden lack of tourists all rushing off home um, and when will they be back and what will the hotels do in the meantime. Melia said this is all going to be fine, um, this is great, uh, look how diverse our portfolio is anyway, it was a fantastic opportunity for them to advertise and advertise they did and why not, they've worked hard for it. Uh, so yes, mopping up the pieces. Looking forward, um, uh, things, um, TUI's share price went up obviously as people tried to find more holidays along those lines, but what does it mean ongoing for all these hotels who've suddenly had to make the decision whether they lock the guests in <laughs> till they pay them, so that's not funny, um, whether they lock the guests in until they pay them or, uh, or let them go and hope that they get refunded. Maybe it won't be so tempting to deal with the, tra with the um, classic travel agents in the future. I, I completely agree that, that the, the death of the high street tour operator has been greatly exaggerated. Um, it, it, the, the evidence is, in fact, its um, demand for package holidays is growing rather than dropping. Richard Clark, leisure analyst at Bernstein, he, he got hold of some interesting data looking at the Spanish packet, package holiday market. And what that showed is that as an overall share of um, tourism in Spain, the package holiday increased its market share 10 percentage points in the last decade, uh, up from 41% in 2008 to 51% in 2018. And he says one of the key drivers of this is actually an aging population. And the grey hairs, they like the certainty um, and ease which you get with a package holiday so and he he sees going forward it's at least going to maintain its current level so all this forecast of free and independent travelers taking over um, doesn't seem to be the case um, so what we've got here is i think you're, you're you're completely on it catherine when you talk about the debt levels it's a essentially a not very well run company or hasn't been a very well run company which um, has run into trouble and if you look at Dart which is the parent company of Jet2 Holidays that's come from a standing start to now be number two in the UK market after TUI. So Jet2 Holidays according to the the 2018 market share numbers had about 16%, uh, Thomas Cook 13% and TUI 26%. So the fact that Jet2 holidays can succeed and grow, um, whereas uh, Thomas Cook hasn't been able to, um, I think indicates that this isn't a market that's in, in, in a disaster area. Now I think we ought to look at specifically what this means for hotels and clearly there's a bit of a disaster for hoteliers who have been reliant on Thomas Cook guests and don't forget the airline. Now although it's less than 2% of um, airline traffic in Europe it's still a significant amount proportionally going into the, some of these resort markets and the loss of that airlift is quite critical because if you learn anything about resort markets it's airlift it's connectivity which will make or break it um, so the loss of that airlift is, is is going to be quite significant to a number of hoteliers and the loss of those Thomas Cook contracts is going to be significant too but in the medium term I think it's better news um, because working with tour operators is a very bad business for hoteliers and I'd point you to um, a investor presentation um, from NH Hotels. They've done this a number of times, um, but the most recent one on their website uh, back in August, it shows uh, net 
ADR net average daily rate according to which channel it was booked through and right at the bottom of the list below even air crew are tour operators it's it's barely three quarters um, of the the average uh, net ADR in fact OTAs um, deliver a higher net ADR uh, least for NH than booking through direct channels other than the web at NH so if you book via the phone at an NH hotel um, NH makes less money off you than if you book via an OTA which is quite interesting I think and not surprising what we've seen at NH is that the OTA share has grown 18% to 27% between 2014 and 2018 and the share of tour operators has shrunk from 12% in 2014 to 8% in 2018 um, so what, what Catherine said in terms of you know Melia's comments tour operators aren't a significant part of the business absolutely for the bigger chains this is the case they've been moving away from um this essentially what is quite bad business for them for for some time um so i think we're going to see an evolution i think there's a lot of movement at the moment on on the on the resort market i think there's going to be an interesting opportunities coming in there for the branded chains to get in there and say look get get beyond your reliance on the tour operators and stick a brand on there and start attracting um, travelers into it using OTAs using your direct channels uh, using agencies um, so we're in, in for a new dawn I think in terms of the the, the, the resort market in Europe okay and now we're turning our attention to the world of tourist taxes and in particular we're going to be talking about scotland which is the latest place where local authorities are wondering if they could profitably gouge visitors to their fine country <laughs> catherine what are the numbers oh they want to um so really really a lot and um and there is a connection with the previous thomas cook story because of course it was our fluffy haired leader who was asked for money by um thomas cook and said no i can't give you 150 million because it would set a terrible precedent uh, and also uh, there was a comment about um i'm not gonna i'm gonna paraphrase and say uh, also you're not a coal mine but it wasn't something like that it was something along the lines of it was generally felt that this wasn't a core market of interest to be to be supported and yet and yet, it seems to be, it is a core market to be taxed. So if everyone would like to make their minds up, I think we're all very happy. Um, but yes, on this front, um, there's been a lot of um, <laughs> chat around Scotland and how much we can tax people, particularly in Edinburgh, where lots and lots of people seem to go. It's very exciting. Um, the latest to wade in is the Association of Accounting Technicians, uh, which sounds dreadfully convincing. Uh, my father used to be a member, and I'm sure he would love to tax the Scots and, uh, and the people who would visit them. So, uh, yes, they're suggesting at this point, adding into the different ways in which we're able to tax people who go to Scotland, that you could set a rate of tax at 2.5% of the overall cost of accommodation. Um, they do want to include things like Airbnb, but it would be up to Airbnb to sort that out, um, as they have done in different locations, so I'm sure it will be on their comprehension. Um, so, yes, don't want to discourage tourism. Oh, it'd be terribly nice if we could have some money from it again. It seems likely that this is going to come in, seeing as um, it's been coming from all different sides towards Edinburgh in particular. The um, local council in Edinburgh voted to introduce tax, um, I think, earlier this year. But um, the overall Scottish Parliament would need to get in on that action. Uh, there's still lots of twitching around about where people would and wouldn't buy. But loads of people coming in. Loads of money being taken away from the Tories in the last few years. It's got to come from somewhere. 
I've got steam coming out of my ears on so many counts with this. Firstly, I think it's a dreadful way to look at the accommodation hotel business by associating it with the tourism business. Most people who stay in hotels aren't tourists in the sense of bucket and spade carriers. They're business travellers, they're attendees of meetings and events. Um, that's where the bulk of money in the hotel business is made. These people are also going to be clobbered by the 2.5%. It's going to deter people from taking those sort of trips um, and, and taking those, you know, having your event in Scotland because it's going to cost two and a half percent. They've just not thought through what they're trying to do here. Now, I think over-tourism is a real thing. It's like trying to deny climate change. Climate change is a real thing. But you've got to sort out what you're going to do about it. And actually, this bonkers blanket taxing is doing precisely the opposite of what needs to happen the problem is you've got too many tourists now i think the answer lies with bhutan now this this buddhist kingdom trapped between india and china um, takes an approach which says what we want is high value low impact tourists if you ain't going to spend and if you can't show that you're about to spend several hundred dollars a day um, when you go to Bhutan, they're not going to give you a visa to come in. Now, that's going to be a bit bit harsh, I think. I don't think we can go quite that far. But that principle, I think, ought to be applied. Focus on attracting the value-add visitors and putting off those who are just going to um, create a lot of what economists describe as externalities. Um, there is a principle the polluter pays and yes absolutely make the polluter pay but get the ones in who are actually making a huge contribution which are the people who are staying overnight using um hotel facilities using leisure facilities using entertainment facilities using bars and restaurants now bars and restaurants and entertainment facilities and even hotels all add to the the quality of life for residents in that city if you've got better entertainment you've got better bars and restaurants and better hotels the quality of your existence in the city is actually improved by that and if you've got people coming in that are doing that and supporting that they ought to be encouraged the ones that you don't want are the day trippers the ones rocking up on their buses leaping out buying some rubbish t-shirt and maybe an ice cream then jumping back on their bus send them packing charge the buses two grand a time for rocking up um you know i see this in cambridge all the time and, and you just get rid of them. they're the most irritating ones the ones following the umbrella as they walk down the street they they don't do anything they don't they're not helping to pay my council tax the ones who are coming to the hotels are and also you actually want the high-end ones you don't want the backpackers and you don't want the um the ones staying in the budget hotels as much because uh, they're not spending so why what you want is a flat per head tax and i think the nuanced way somewhere like amsterdam is doing it and interesting cnn this week has just had a report saying amsterdam is about to be the highest tourist tax city in europe but what amsterdam's focused on is actually encouraging up to a point the business traveler because they spend lots of money they don't cause a lot of irritation um, to locals or not as much irritation to locals as the people buying t-shirts and um, having ice cream so the the dutch are wanting let's have a few more of these high high-end travelers this high value low impact type of traveler and you need to have taxes which are um reinforce that message so don't tax the accommodation 
tax the day trip. It's not easy, but there are ways of doing it. Certainly coach travellers are a, a, a way to tap that. So if you've got charter coaches coming in, you can tax them to high heaven just to discourage them because um, they they are bringing in terms of the impact they have on the local residents the amount of money they're actually spending and the diesel fumes they're creating in there with their coach it's just ghastly so let's prevent them coming in and, and, and address this in a serious way now a final point on this is the hoteliers and hotel industry, um, the advocacy groups for our, our industry need to stop seeing this as a way to beat up the likes of Airbnb. Because actually, if what you're saying is that Airbnb is creating a problem in terms of real estate and pushing up house prices, that equally applies to hotels. And it's going to make the, the hotel industry suffer and the, the difficulty in terms of developing and expanding the hotel industry um, is going to rise. So you, you actually, we should be allying ourselves with the likes of Airbnb to have some sort of sensible levels of regulation. Um, but of course, it's just everybody's looking at the easy options here and i mean it's amazing isn't it you see this this accountancy body starts talking about you know the fairness of, of the, the tax regime well actually you know if you're an accountancy body please you know leave it to the politicians to talk about that just talk about the efficiency which is what you know which is what as an accountancy body you ought to be focused on and i i find it incredible that they think it's easier to levy a percentage tax than it is to levy a per head tax i mean utter nonsense i don't believe it um and i think the whole approach is misguided and wrong headed well there we are so we'll take andrew and get him to have a lie down in a darkened room and we'll wish you have a great week until you hear from us again next week bye for now